Welcome and thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I'm Marvin Telemontis, the pastor of River Rock Fellowship. Hope this inspires you and builds up your faith and helps you to see that God is moving in your life. Enjoy the message. Well, welcome back for Hope Happens Here. This is week three, and today's message is titled Hope for the Doubter. Well, when life gets tough, it is easy to doubt that things can get better. Have you ever heard a piece of information that you had a hard time believing was true? Maybe it was so outlandish that you just said, whatever. Complete, I have, do not believe that. I have full doubt on that situation. Maybe it was just too hard to believe because it was just too good to be true. Or maybe it's the phrase of, I'll believe it when I see it. Have we ever said that or thought that or heard that? Of course we have. So I want to pose some questions to you and put your hand in the air. If you, if you trust or you say that's true, I want you to put your hand up. If you doubt it, keep your hand down. So I'm going to put the, the questions will be up on the screen so you can see them there. But I want to see how many of you doubt or trust. So here we go. Do you know that every day an average of 11 banks are robbed in the United States of America? Do you trust it? Do you believe it or not? Those who believe it, put your hand up. Those who think it's way more. <laughs> no. All right, here we go. The answer is, it's true. It's true. That's just an average. Do you know you are more likely to be stung by a bee in, a, in windy weather? National Geographic. How many of you guys believe that? Raise your hand. And the answer is... Eh. Survey says that's false. Did you know that they actually have square watermelons in Japan? How many of those believe? Put them up. How many don't? Put them up. Disagree. Raise your hands. And the real answer is... Ding, 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 ding. True. They stack better, so they put them in little boxes and they grow into squares. <laughs> Leave it to the Japanese. Did you know penguins? This was an interesting one. Did you know penguins can smell toothpaste from a mile away? True, raise your hand. Pretty absurd. And the answer is, survey says, eh. It's false. You know, folks, sometimes it's really hard to tell what to trust and what not to trust. It's easy to doubt anything and everything. Why? Because there's so much misinformation and so many blatant lies. Doubt has become a common occurrence for so many people today especially in our culture. There are people that we know all too well who have let us down. And it leads us to become skeptics, to become doubters, to not want to get close to anybody. We doubt. Well, if it's not their fault, there's something wrong with me, and I'm just not going to put myself in that situation because I don't know what's wrong with me. So I'm not going to get hurt again. And we start to doubt. 
Clearly, people can doubt for all kinds of different reasons. I would argue, though, that the problem is not the fact that I doubt or that you doubt. I think the big problem is how do you handle your doubt? That's the question. See, if I mishandle my doubt, it's going to lead to fear. And fear is going to lead to eroding my faith, my faith in God. And the same for you. But the good news is, where Jesus is, where Jesus is, there is hope. And where hope is, there is no more doubt. Did you catch that? That's why church is such a great place to be, because it speaks of Jesus. And the more I get Jesus in me, the less I have a fear. And the less I have a fear, the more my faith grows, because I don't have doubt plaguing me. We're certainly not alone in the struggle with doubt. After Jesus' crucifixions, his disciples, they were literally they were heartbroken. I mean, their hopes and their dreams of being able to see Israel being ran by the hand of God and, and God's government being ran by Jesus, all this was over. And who's to say that they weren't going to be next on that cross? If Jesus was on the cross, why wouldn't they be on the cross this week or the week after? So they were hiding on a regular basis. There's one disciple that stood out, though. Y'all know him, Thomas. He struggled, if, if not just flat out refused to believe Jesus was alive. All these people are going, he's alive, he's alive. And he's like, really? Let's just be honest. He probably just said, shut up and get out of my face. You, think about it, before this time, nobody has ever died and rose from the dead on their own. Doesn't happen. I was there, Thomas would say. I saw him die. I saw the flogging. I saw the whipping. I saw him carrying the cross. I saw him dying on the cross. I saw him put into the tomb. I saw it all. Stop acting like he's alive. He's dead. And I'm not going to get my hopes up. No, I won't believe it unless I put my hands into the wounds where the nails were at. Into the side where they stabbed him. And you know, he just didn't want to get his hopes up. He's not a bad guy. He was grieving. The man who fed thousands, the man who, who walked on water, the, the man who could just speak a word. And he remember how he would draw in the sand and all the religious leaders would leave. But he goes, hey, you know, where are your accusers, woman? Nobody. Then I don't accuse you either. Go and sin no more. He was there. He saw it all. He's grieving. He's hurting. 
was not until Thomas, there he is with the 12, and they're in this, this room, this place, and it's all boarded up, it's all locked up. Nobody can get in, nobody can get out. And all of a sudden, there's Jesus in the center of the living room. Hey, peace be to all you guys. What's happening? Hey, hey, Thomas, come here. Touch me. Just believe. It wasn't until that moment that all the doubt just went away and he was filled with hope again. So in, in hopes that today you might better relate and understand Thomas, we have a monologue that maybe if Thomas was here today, it would sound something like this. And I guess the question is, is have you ever wondered what it might have really been like, what it must have been like from Thomas's point of view when he struggled so much, why he doubted so much? Well, let's watch this. It's hard to be judged for one mistake, but it's what I'll be remembered for, I guess. I wasn't always the doubter. That's not who I am. I have a zeal for Jesus. I always have. When Lazarus died, no one wanted to return to Bethany with Jesus. The atmosphere there was volatile, dangerous. Jesus said he'd show us his glory. I'd assume we'd all die there. Still, I'm the one who said, let's go. But then, then came this room that night. At the time, none of us understood as we sat at the table. This is my body? This is my blood? He raised the dead. He cast out demons even. What could he possibly mean? I didn't doubt it when they told me he was dead. But how can you not doubt when someone came back from the dead? Some didn't doubt. But for me, it was harder. Maybe it was just that I didn't want to be disappointed. Many came after me who believed Jesus without seeing what I saw. Jesus, he, he called them blessed. Yes, I touched the place of the nails, the hole in his side. Such definitive proof that I cried out, my Lord, my God. But that wasn't the only amazing thing. The Almighty One, the Savior, the one who reigns. He came back for me. He didn't want to leave me behind in my doubt. He says I'm worth that. And I'll follow him anywhere for the rest of my life. The good news is that Jesus really did overcome death. And we're willing to see, if you were willing to see it, 
we could also see that Jesus is actively working in our lives even today. You know, here's just a little side note. The church needs to be a place where those who have questions are actually welcomed. And they're not shunned and they're not pushed away because they go, I don't get this. I don't understand this. I struggle with understanding some guy being swallowed by a whale and three days later, he's alive. How does that work? You're in good company. That's okay. Do you see what I'm saying? If they can't go to church, where do they get to go? The internet? So let's look at John chapter 20, verse 24 and 25. It said, One of the twelve disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, We have seen the Lord. But Thomas, Thomas replied, I will not believe this unless I see his hands, his side. Thomas gets a bad rap. I don't know about you, but I remember growing up in, in church, and there, there almost seemed to be an idea that if you come into church, you can check your brain out at the door. Now come in afterwards. Anybody go to that church? You know what I'm saying? Whatever we preach, whatever we say, that's it. Don't have any questions. You just don't have enough faith. This guy's one of the 12. And Thomas is saying, I won't believe this. I've got questions. I don't understand this. Jesus isn't intimidated by it. He's okay with it. The question is, are you ready for the answer? Thomas got a bad rap for being a skeptic, for being the doubter. However, we're truthful. Thomas comes to the place of his skepticism in doubting, quite honestly. He just watched the man that he is his mentor for the last three years crucified on the cross. The thought of getting his hopes up that Jesus was resurrected from the dead all by himself, that, that just defied all logic to him. So let's look at this thing called doubt. Let's look at a few points, three big points about doubt. The first one would be, sometimes we doubt to protect ourselves. We doubt to protect me. And we can all be just like Thomas in this. The doubts we often express in, in, in trying to say that we're doubting is because let's say some great information comes our way. It's incredible information, incredible news. And what's the first thing that comes out of our mouth? No way. You've got to be kidding me. We respond not with faith. We respond with doubt, and we're Christians. What's wrong with us? Because we're trying to protect ourselves and not get our hopes up and be really let down when we find out it's not true and somebody was playing a horrible trick on us. 
See, we've been hurt before. And because we've been hurt before, many times before maybe, we pull back. And we start off with skepticism. We start off with doubt. A week after Thomas tells the others that he refuses to believe their reports, he and the disciples find themselves together in a locked room. When suddenly, Jesus just shows up. He's the source of hope. And in the middle of the house, there's Jesus. And let's pick up on it. Verse 26, 27, same chapter. Eight days later, the disciples were together, and this time Thomas was with them. That's critical. Thomas wasn't with Peter and John when he ran over with Mary to the empty tomb. He wasn't there to see him on, on the road. He doesn't have his, his first encounter with Jesus yet. This is going to be his very first encounter with Jesus after being resurrected. The doors were locked. Kind of important. But suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. And here's his first thing. He talks to everybody. Peace be with you. And then, and then he goes from there. He goes, whoop. And he looks right at Thomas. He doesn't talk to Peter. He doesn't talk to anybody else. He goes, hey, Tom, come here. I, I want you to go ahead touch that. Not the fatty part, the other part. <laughs> you know why he says that? Let's continue. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand in the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Jesus can stand it. That who was a, a man of God, a man after God's own. Man, Thomas, you love me. You walked with me. You fed, helped me. You, you did all the. Thomas, I can't bear to see this anymore. Stop doubting. I know your life is in a mess. It's in a hot mess. And you're scared. And you're confused. And you doubt everything because this wasn't supposed to be the plan. Anybody have a life like that? Anybody understand what it must be like to be Thomas? And what's the next part he says? Don't be faces. He says, believe. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Without much explanation, Jesus is just there in the flesh. A guy by the name of Jerry Cook wrote a great book, multiple books. But he talks about, I think when you get to like nine dimensions, you know, not 3D or 4D or 5, but like nine dimensions, it literally means that, that matter can pass through matter. He, he's speaking about the divine. <laughs> so you can lock up the house, but that's not going to keep Jesus out. He's just going to, he's there. Why? Because he's divine. Nothing can hold him back. Not even our walls. So who does Jesus speak to first one-on-one? -on -one? In that whole group, 
Thomas. He goes to the doubter. Wow. So church, maybe we should embrace those with questions. And here's, my, here's one of my number one rules. If you do not have an answer, don't make one up. You know what people appreciate? I don't know, but I'll look it up and find out. Honesty. I don't have an answer, but I'll look it up. We like that. Just be real. I don't know. So the one who was refusing to believe that Jesus was alive, notice how Jesus addresses Thomas. He doesn't reprimand him. He embraces him. He doesn't belittle Thomas. He invites Thomas to come and touch. Why? He wants his faith built up, not down. Put your fingers here. Here's another one, number two. Another big point. Jesus is not afraid of our doubts. There are many in the body of Christ who struggle with their faith, if we're honest. There's people in this room right now who struggle with things in their faith. Has there any, ever been anybody in here who said, God, why? Dot, dot, dot. Well, the rest of you, I'm praying for you because I don't think you're being honest. I think most of us have asked God why. He's not afraid of that. Ask them. David asked hard questions. Abraham asked hard questions. All through the scriptures, you find people asking God hard questions. For a person who wrestles with doubt, maybe the question should be, instead of why God and what about this, maybe the question should be coming to that person who doubts. Where is your doubting coming from? Is it really intellectual? I've had a lot of people come in and they'll tell me, well, I don't want anything to do with God. And, and, they're, and they have all this intellectual cover story. And I kind of just go like this to the cover story and I slide it over here. And I say, I think I want to go through each and every one of those questions. But first I want to know is this. What happened? What do you mean? I've been a pastor a long time. Those questions, they're not intellectual questions for your brain. They're coming from your heart. And they're coming from your heart because your heart's been broken. Who broke your heart? Did God not do something that you expected him to have done? Did somebody die? Did somebody leave you or abandon you or betray you? And it's usually not much farther than that, that the tears start crawling down their face. And then I minister to the pain. I've been violated. I've been taken advantage of. I lost my business. My partner ripped me off. The list goes on. And I blame God because where was God to protect me? And that's how they justify their doubt and anger at God. 
And so when we deal with this, the questions and the long lists, they kind of go to about like this. And that's a lot easier to answer. And then we deal with it. God's not afraid of your questions. Many years ago when I was pastoring in Iowa, there was a wonderful couple, young couple. They had two beautiful little girls, beautiful. And then they had their third child, and it was a boy. Beautiful baby. 28 days later, baby died of SIDS. I got the call. I grabbed my staff around me and assistant pastors, and we just all drove. We just left one person in the building to answer phones, and we took off. I just hugged on them. I didn't have any special verses that day. Any theology I would have handed them, and that moment of trauma would have been salt on a wound. I did not offer a leadership lesson. I didn't offer them a Bible study. Here's a link. Go listen to this. You know what I did? I just hugged them. I just hugged them. And I cried. And I said, I, I don't understand either. But I know I'm here. And whatever amount of steps it takes to get from here to where you need to go, I'm going to be there with you. And so is my wife. And so is this church. What do you do? Stop making up answers. Now, is there a theological understanding of why bad things happen? Yeah, but not at that moment. I, uh, I've seen a lot of pain and hurt as a pastor. And uh, it wears on you. Because if you pastor, you care. See, trauma just doesn't... Trauma doesn't ask to be scheduled on a person's calendar. I remember when we pastored in Orange County. There was this young couple. They were our age in our 30s. Early 30s at the time. And... Uh, she was beautiful. He was handsome. They had three kids at the time, just full of life, full of energy. She had gone to church, and they kind of left a little bit earlier than normal. And that afternoon, got to the emergency, and she was gone. Only to find out later that there was a particular organ, I don't remember which one, but bile got out. And all that bile, that toxicity poisoned her system. And it only took a couple of days. Because when that thing burst, she was dead at that time. It was horrible. It was horrible. Do you have answers? Not at that moment, I don't. I have, I'm here. 
I'm going to go run to the store and buy some food. I'll be back. I'm here. I'm going to go take the kids to to wherever they got to go. See, sometimes in a moment of trauma, your best thing is shut up and just hug and cry or do something that needs to be done. And stop giving commentary. Sitting Sheva. Just be there. Just be there. These events, I mean, they challenge your faith. We can be left with frustration and fear and hurt and deep pain. And many, many questions. And in that trauma, before you know it, because we're struggling so bad, we don't know what to do. And our friends get scared, and, and they don't know what to do. And then they get easily offended. And it's not even their trauma. And before you know it, their friends are way over here. And the other person's like, why did everybody leave me? In the middle of confusion is when the enemy can cause all sorts of havoc. Jesus wasn't afraid of Thomas's questions and his doubts. He wasn't afraid because Thomas was mourning and grieving. He's not afraid of your doubts. He's not afraid of your grief and your pain. The truth is, there are times that we will not have the answers on this side of heaven. And by the way, in the middle of a person's pain and trauma... It's not the time to make things about you. Well, I remember when I did, I had one of those, and this happened to me, like, no thank you. When Thomas saw Jesus and then was told to touch his hands, where there was once wounds, there were actually now scars. There was a scar. See, that was now evidence. The resurrection did happen. And there was something now to celebrate. Let's look at verse 28 and 29. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. My Lord and my God. Woo! Then Jesus told him, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those at River Rock Fellowship who believe without seeing me. Amen? Thomas did not want to be a doubter. His his trauma, his pain was controlling him. And therefore, he was doubting. Thomas recognized that if Jesus can overcome death and the grave, then Jesus surely must be the Lord, our God. Here's, Here's third point. Our doubts fall away when we trust the source, when we trust Jesus. Thomas had first had firsthand evidence that came directly from the source from Jesus. His, this caused his doubts literally to just fall away from him. He no longer was doubting. He was no longer doubting Thomas. He was now believing Thomas. But we don't finish the story. We leave the label on him. Anybody here been labeled and you're like, I am no longer that person. Why do you keep referring to me like that person? That's what we did with Thomas. But he became a believer. My Lord and my God. Our doubts 
can turn to hope when we too go directly to the source, when we directly go to Jesus. When Jesus is our, our source, when he is our hope, we don't have to be crippled by doubt. Even when we feel our faith wavers or our confidence is, is shaky, knowing Jesus helps us to press on. There's a story by a guy named Robert Louis Stevenson. He was a great novelist back in the day, uh, the 20th century, I believe. And he wrote of one of his excursions to the South Sea Island when his ship that he was on encountered a horrible storm. So all of the passengers worked their way down to the belly of the vessel, to the ship. There to find, there they wouldn't get as much um, motion sickness because they were down low, below the, the line of the sea. So while they were there, they were very frightened. Everybody's eyes are like this, they're getting scared. They're, they feel they're about to die. Well, one of them decided they wanted to see what the captain was doing. So he got the courage and went up and found his way to the bridge where the captain and all of the sailors were there. And as he's barking out orders so that they would know how to handle the vessel, he's staring at the captain. And here's the captain. He's clearly calm. He's clearly looking. He's paying close attention. And then he would yell out a, a command and yell out another command. And then finally he would just stand there still. And for whatever reason, as he, he just caught something in the corner of his eye, and the captain of the vessel turned and looked. And there he saw in the corner this grown man shaking and looking at him. You know what that, that captain did? He just turned. And then he smiled, and then he turned back, back to that which was in front of him. So the grown man, he worked his way back to the belly of the ship, and there he is at the bottom, and everybody's going, what's happening? What's going, we're going to die. And he goes, hey, 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 quiet. I've been up to the bridge, and I saw the captain's eyes. We're fine. He's calm. If he's calm, we can be calm. Folks, I don't know what's going on in your life or what has gone in your life. And sometimes we feel like we're at the belly, the bottom of our ship, of our life. And we just feel like, are we ever going to get out of this tempest? And I encourage you, won't you take a peek at the eyes of the captain of your soul and he'll smile at you. And he'll say, I got you, child. I got you real good. We'll be fine. Go on back down and relax. And your doubt will fade away and your faith will rise in great confidence. You see, where Jesus is, there is hope. And where there is hope, 
there can be no fear. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, it says, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. And when people gather together in the name of Jesus, like today, he's here. And if he's here, then hope is here. And hope is here. Then there's no need for doubt, no need for fear. Because the captain is smiling down on you. As we gather, I just, I just pray that we would trust the king with all those things in our life that sometimes just don't make sense. The timing doesn't make sense. And sometimes we really struggle with a thing of purpose. Have you ever asked the question, what on earth am I here for? That's a pretty big question. And we have a little gift that we want to give out today. And ushers, if you would go and grab those books and start handing them out to everybody, that would be wonderful. It's a little booklet book by Rick Warren. And it's called, What on Earth Am I Here For? And as we close today, I just want to read just a little bit about this book. Because once you hear this, you're going to go, I think I might read this. And this might be something you read in one or two settings with a cup of coffee. Okay? So here's the big question. It all starts with God. So here's the, here's the question right on the front. If you guys want to follow, I'm on page five. But it starts off with, what on earth am I here for? So here's the very first sentence of the book. It's not about you. Ouch. You see, whenever I start my life and the problems of my life, and I start that it's all about me being the center. Me, myself, and I. That is not a holy trinity. But if I start off with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that's a holy trinity. Everything is centered around Him. It goes, the purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness. It's far greater than your family, your career, or even your wild dreams of am and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by His purpose and for His purpose. The search for the purpose of life has puzzled people for thousands of years. That's because we typically begin at the wrong starting point ourselves. We ask self-centered questions like, what do I want to be? What should I do with my life? What are my goals, my ambitions, my dreams for my future? But focusing on ourselves will never reveal our life's purpose. The Bible says, it is God who directs the lives of his creatures. Everyone's life is in his power. Contrary to what many popular books, movies, and seminars tell you, you won't discover your life's meaning by looking within yourself. You've probably tried that already. You didn't create yourself, so there is no way you can tell yourself 
what you are created for. Why am I going to ask Marvin what I was created for? I didn't create me. How about I ask the guy who created me? By the way, that's not even mommy and daddy. They just got to be used as tools. God did the miracle. God did the miracle on you. Father, I thank you for your people. Lord, we all have struggled with doubt in our life. But where there's Jesus, there's hope. And where there's hope, there can't be doubt. There can't be fear. So Lord, help us to be honest with you. Because you're not intimidated. You're not afraid of our questions. But Lord, sometimes trauma can cause us to get stuck in a pit. And we don't know how to get out. Really, all we need to do is stop making it about us and saying, Father, your will, your way. Use me. And you'll pull us out of the pit. You'll give us purpose. You'll give us direction. You'll show us your design for our life. And wow, will it be significant, fulfilling, and thrilling. What an adventure it will be. I pray blessing on your people. And I pray, Father, no matter what the pain has been in years past or even recent, that we would put our eyes on you and say, help me, Lord. I don't know what to think. I don't know what to say. And I got some questions. And you'll say, touch my hands right here where the nail wounds were. And you'll say, touch my side. Don't be faithless anymore. Child of God, just believe. And I will carry you all the way. Bless your people in Jesus' holy name. Amen and amen. Well, we hope this message helps you to take your next step closer to Jesus. Here's a great question to ask yourself right now. How will I be different because of what I just heard today? Well, for more info about us, go to rrf.church or find us on Facebook. I'm Pastor Marvin thanking you for taking the time to join us.